everyone, welcome back to Sevi Talks, where we cover a range of topics from Genshin Impact to gaming to guests and stories. I'm Sevi, and today I'm joined by Lore Tuber Chill with Aster. Hello, Aster. Hi, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. Yeah, we've been recording this in the morning, and like we're finally in the same time zone. I'm finally like having interviewing with someone who's in the same time zone as me. So we are both known as Filipino creators in the Genshin community. And of course, like people have been wanting to see us connect. And to set the record straight, yes, Aster and I have met. We were able to meet back at Conquest and we had TGI Fridays, right? <laughs> they have such good chicken. I, I They do. Also, you are a lore creator and... You know, it's always interesting having someone from another side of the Genshin creator community um, here since I usually do guides and stuff. I usually talk about meta stuff. So it's always fun to like merge those two particular sides of the community. I'm here to ask Aster about like her creative process, but also a lot about her student life because Aster is doing like university, she's finishing college and she has a very interesting field of study that I have seen her integrate into her content a lot. So before we get into it, like Aster, is there is there anything like you want to intro yourself with? How did how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get here indeed? Uh hi, I'm Aster from Chill with Aster. I make Genshin lore stuff. Whether they're the surface character lore or the deeper uncomfortable lore that no one <laughs> likes to read about. I'm the person to find if you ever need obscure lore about that kind of things. But yeah, I'm I'm just someone that enjoys reading really long texts, I suppose. That's that's true though. I mean Genshin has some uncomfortable lore and I really like your videos on them. Listener, if you're not yet familiar with Chill with Aster, please go check out her YouTube channel and go check out her videos and and you'll get what I mean. Like browsing, you'll get what I mean right away when I say like uh, when we say uncomfortable lore. Like it's right there into some nails in the titles okay <laughs> and we're going to get back to those a little bit later but yeah Aster let's let's dive straight in what is it like being a creator and a student at the same time I suppose that I think I'm one of the younger content creators um it surely does feel um weird is not going to be my word but it does feel um, kind of difficult to juggle both being a student and a creator at the same time, especially since you're expected to do a lot of outputs as a student. And at the same mm. time, you also have to like um, Genshin is a live, um, a live-based game, so you also have to catch up with the de quote-unquote deadlines of the patches. I guess from the style of Genshin, it was kind of hard to juggle it versus like my school life. But at the same time, it is. You know, you take a break from school to do your Genshin stuff and then like vice versa. Mm. So it's kind of calming until everything starts piling up. <laughs> and it's popsicle calming. <laughs> okay, so like for the most part, the balance is there. For the most part. <laughs> <laughs> for the, okay, until like exam week or finals week and, and things like that. So my course doesn't have a lot of tests. Ooh. Like it's not like um, standardized exams. So when we say finals, that's where you get like all the research proposals, all oh. of the presentations. So like 
I'm going to be making a 10-page script on one screen and then like, oh, I'm going to be going back to my school. And then you just see a 40-page like essay that I'm trying to condense. Oh so my it's like, gosh. It's like, it's so common for me to just say, oh, I'm out of English. Please don't talk to me. <laughs> I'm legit out of English right now. Tell me about your course. So communications or communication research, I think that's how my university tackles it, is a part of mass communication where if you have uh, broadca broadcast communication as the front and center of television, you have like the background information of audience research or what you have to say so that you can keep up with trends, what's allowed to be said on the, you know, on mass media. And that's what where communication lines lies. Like it's a deeper part of the iceberg. And that's basically mm. my course. I like going through um audience research and what makes the people tick what makes them interested what gets them to pay what do they not like that's basically what my course is or at least the fact uh, the side of the course that i am focusing on because communications has a lot of um liberty i suppose especially in mass media right now especially with the internet and like how communication has changed it is just yep. so fascinating to read about it and to just see how trends just um, begin to shift around kind of like that yeah that's the yeah. bare bones of it a lot of papers <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of, of reading <laughs> <laughs> okay actually I mean all the qualities that you outlined that is very much at the core of like being a youtuber or even just a creator because what we do on youtube like we are practicing some form of communication and we are you know trying to serve an audience so there's a lot of overlap there. One of the reasons that I actually started making videos was um, was because I wanted to get it uh, get a pool of people uh, just so I can like watch how the audiences shift. So like it's very fascinating to have that ideology, at least from that like I guess from my background to have that motivation mm -hmm. that oh I'm going to go into this new platform i guess with the mm -hmm. intention of i want to see like from first-hand experience if what i'm reading about in these papers is actually true <laughs> just to test it out yeah okay and and you said that you regularly tell your audience that you guys are just testing <laughs> <laughs> my discord server now unfortunately has the dubs aster's experimentation labs and everyone <laughs> just like greets like the people's like hello welcome to the experimentation labs Please get a number. I'm just like, guys, guys. <laughs> Wait a minute. I love that. That's that's actually adorable. I mean, it, it's it's a good thing your audience is so open to this kind of thing. Does life reflect Siri? And I guess, have you found any insights to that? I guess I'll say this from the context of Genshin uh, media, since that was the easiest, um, you know, so I can, I can explain it in like easier terms. Yeah. Um, there are several theories that I found which were I can I could apply. Like for example, there's something called the uses and gratifications theory. So people mm -hmm. consume their media with the intention of wanting to gain something from it. You know, uses. And when I was doing a paper before relating Genshin, there was just so many information that people not just play for power like you know like guides and combat they also play for the lore mm -hmm. they play for the story they play for the for the different things i'm just like huh interesting all from a gacha game mm, neat like the more that i went deeper into the theories like that are present and like how we talk to people 
it was also really cool just to see that certain prompts, I guess, certain stimuli really give the monkey neuron brain activated. <laughs> the communication, like, as a, as a field, honestly, now that I'm here doing YouTube, I wish that I had gone into a communication field. And it's not because I hate what I graduated from. I actually love what I, the course that I finished. When it comes to communication, I feel like, you know, like there's a lot that I would also want to learn to apply. Like you talk a lot about audience and prompts and stimuli. And how does that affect how you, you know, examine the game or even examine the community? I think I've discussed this before with the Shade Chamber when I was mm -hmm. when I was like talking to them about the game designs and other other things. But because of the other things that I've read, I guess in literature, there are certain prompts, for example, that define on how an audience receives a piece of content. A good example of this actually is, you know how burnout is. Um, you don't just feed a person a continuous amount of content. If your person is burnt out, you don't just like keep feeding them. You have yeah. to like, there's a quality that you need to consume. Uh, there's a quality of content that you need so that the burnout goes away. Something like that. Okay. What I've been reading is th the different kinds of game designs that can also impact on how a person interacts with not only the game, but also each other. For example, parasocial relationships. Ah, yes. <laughs> I did watch your video on parasocial, like the parasocial relationship with Genshin. And that was a fun watch, honestly. Um, like, I guess I, if you haven't watched it, listener, like a quick summary of it is Aster did an analysis of how players can get parasocial relationships with the game that they are consuming. Uh, and how is it making that video? Like, you said it was a draft of your paper, right? So I pitched it to my professor because I was like, okay, I need a paper to submit. And then I just saw, um, okay, parasocial relationships. And the professor really liked it. So that added a lot more pressure. And I was, I think I was <laughs> working. So I was interested in, you know what, I'm going to see what the reaction of the people are. Uh, you know, the immediate reaction of people are when I give them this kind of topic. So I actually started streaming the paper while I was writing it. And then like, you can just see the chat every now and then when I was talking about, oh, um, you have the hedonic value where you just feel happy when you get a character or you, you're happy when you talk to a character and then emotional value when you feel like you have an attachment to the character in any way. And you can just see chat going, oh my God, she's calling us out. Well, it's a good thing your listeners, you know, they're self-aware enough. <laughs> like every time, like I just, like write a really academic sounding line where it's just like oh according to literature people get more attached the more that they see the character through propinquity and then you just see chat going please stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know like i i definitely feel the the same concepts apply to myself and you know my parasocial relationship with al -Haytham. definitely not al unhealthy in any way <laughs> parasocial relationships like it is definitely something you hear a lot between people because, I mean, you see, since it's with another person, like, there is some sort of equal ground, you know? Like, it's it's not difficult to think about parasocial relationship between two, two people because that's usually how you perceive relationships. But to a game, it was pretty interesting um, because... I feel like it is a pretty neat way of describing how a lot of people 
consume not just Genshin, but like fandom media in general. Um, I do want to ask like if it ever affects, I d I'm not sure if like consciousness is the right word, but like your awareness as a creator, because creators on YouTube, they often, well, myself included, we get caught up in like analytics and and numbers you know where we don't necessarily do this to like examine uh communication or even psychological concepts at work even though they might help like usually there is an end goal of views numbers so does that ever like affect you you know the usual youtuber thing where obviously passion projects at some point could probably you know not um they don't translate well algorithmically all the time but there are just some times where I sprinkle in like a mis-edit every now and then just to see if that's the central focus of the comments. So I think I have a mm. list somewhere in my Google Docs where I have like intentional mis-edits because I have accidental mis-edits too. Where I would just okay. like try to have a ratio of how many comments were so bothered by it that they pointed it out versus like the rest of the comment pool and i just like look at it in fascinations like wow huh mm. i didn't think that. it's a good gauge of watch time actually that means that if i put the misedit like somewhere in the very back of the video it means that they watched it kind of like that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah okay that's kind of interesting like i you know how other creators have call outs towards the latter half of the video to yeah to, to gauge watch time they're like if you're still watching comment this and this and that it's funny that you put like something that people might not normally comment on but if they do then it says something i mean obviously like i i do it sparingly but like it's either that or the memes like there would just be a really serious topic and there would just be like a a bit of a meme like somewhere in the middle and i want to see like i wonder who's actually uh, looking at the screen right now mm. <laughs> to see this <laughs> that's true i mean that is also another valid question to ask because you make your content very podcast style is how Ashikai described it. And I agree because like you can listen to it. You don't you don't really have to like look at the video because most of your ideas, they are really in what you're saying. Like you're not mm -hmm. often referring to something particular on screen. And when I talked to Ashikai, well, she brought up that she likes how you do it because it becomes like easier to produce um so like how did you come up with that format that just makes your life easier i guess did it take some trial and error so while i started youtubing like two years ago i actually started um a long time ago in amvs so mm. i know the the grueling process of having 10 seconds before days when you edit it just because of how heavy it was so when i started doing youtube i was like okay do i want to have like an edit that is super duper big but i know that i can't reproduce it because of my college life or do i just want to give myself some <laughs> leeway here that <laughs> i just have like three layers all right here's the text here's the cutout and then here's the audio and then like i just like sit back and like you know what i'll put all the effort in this script so that's basically how i did my like my process when it comes to editing because as much as i would love to have those really good edits like those really heavy edits a part of me also understands like the limitations of just how much i can produce 
I guess, like, as a solo content creator. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good that you did figure that out early on, or at least early on with this channel. Um, because, yeah, it, it makes your life a lot easier. And, you know, for the listener, it also makes things... It, it also gives you, like, a certain vibe, definitely. Like, just being able to listen, hearing all the ideas in what you're saying in the script. So I, I like how you how you do put out your content. Um, when you say that, like, you do put all the effort into the script, how do you usually approach lore? Because sometimes you, um, you put out not just theories, but ideas and analysis of, like, the themes. You have videos here and there that, you know, go over a character's lore. Sometimes also making predictions, but not necessarily event predictions. Sometimes, like, thematic predictions as well. So how do you, like, go about that? So the easiest, I think, is you have the first... I think, okay, in every kind of methodology, you should always have an outline, a thesis statement, a research problem, like the bare bones of your content, or at least my script has mm -hmm. to be, um, it has to be clear. I have okay. to give you what, like, what, do, what am I proposing right now? I always tackle my scripts with the idea that I'm in front of a defense. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Now that you say it, that makes a lot of sense. So basically, I write it like how I write literature. I have the outline for everything that I want. And I always have, I always started with what kind of question, like a research question. So for example, if it's going to be tackling technology for Fontaine, am I really going to just go through all of the technology or am I going to integrate something thematic to it? So I added the dangers of technology. So I have like a thematic um, blanket over it. So it's easier for me to know what kind of mindset I'm gonna go into it. So I have the outline and then I expand from there. And I always have to make sure that my papers have to start with um, the introduction, the main body of literature and then a concrete conclusion at the end that I am confident with that oh I answered my own research problem and I didn't do anything stupid midway <laughs> and lost sight of what I was supposed to be you know it's not a perfect um it's not perfect obviously but that's usually just how I tackle that especially with a game that has so much information <laughs> that's a pretty neat way to do it because it is a process that you're very familiar with by now unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> honestly like as a student like whether I was like in my earlier or later years of college I feel like that process or at least picking up a familiar process and applying it to a different skill or a different uh, discipline such as you know going from school to YouTube I guess it helps continue exercising that skill of writing your research and researching the topic so it's cool that you're integrating that like personally on my end when I was still finishing like my university when I was still finishing my classes and I was also doing the Sevi Plays channel a lot of my videos especially the testing videos they ended up feeling like research to me because the first course that I enrolled in was actually a physics course. And there I had to do a lot of testing and comparison mm. and summarizing. So it's like in physics, you're testing just one variable. And then in my earlier days of Savvy Plays, I would go in testing a weapon which also means you have to set your constants. You also have to, you know, define mm -hmm. your parameters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So it's these are familiar words, <laughs> right? <laughs> they are familiar words. So it's it's fun getting to integrate at least what you already know because then you're not starting from ground zero. Because trying different formats. Um, those get a bit difficult because they come in formats that I'm less familiar with. So I feel like I have to, you know, pick up new skills and stuff. But on your end, since you've been doing like a lot of applying what you do in school to what you do here as a creator, are there disparities, like things that don't really match up well? So you have to experiment and try something different? Yeah, most of the time. Um, when you, when I do research rather, um, in school, I usually have a bit more meticulousness when it comes, for example, like textual analysis. I actually have to have the um, the verbatims like, laid out. But in Genshin, I also kind of follow that where I need to know where my sources are. Like, I can't be caught lacking. <laughs> um, <laughs> so one of the different, um, one of the things I also integrated from like how I write my papers normally is my scope and delimitations. I, mm -hmm. If I'm going to have a theory, for example, I always, always have to put at somewhere in the end of the video, what is the counter to this theory that I make? Like, so I can also see like what is the alternative prospect and how wrong is the theory that I'm presenting now? So it does like it does match with my process, I suppose, in qualitative research. But in quantitative, obviously, my videos can't be completely surveyed. For example, I can't just survey a bunch of people immediately, which I probably should. I, there's more leeway, I guess. Like there's a lot more leeway for um, the videos that I'm making now versus like how I would do my academic papers. I guess it's also hopefully a bit less pressure on you or a bit less heavy on you maybe? That depends on the video's topic. <laughs> okay, interesting. I suppose we'll we'll return to that in a little bit, like the, the video topics you do pick up because those are always interesting. Guess the next thing that I want to ask you about is, well, not just being a student creator, um, but also being a Filipino creator with a relatively international audience. Um, this is like I said earlier that us both being Filipino is is one thing that has gotten a lot of people requesting us to collab. <laughs> <laughs> the Filipino group chat, I suppose. <laughs> I know, right? It it also goes to show that we are definitely a minority here. <laughs> you, you know, it's of course not just the two of us. Like there are more Filipino creators out there in the Genshin community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but both of our channels have managed to um, reach international audiences. And I wanted to ask like your experience on that. I think that a lot of people, I guess internationally, when they first heard me, there were a lot of questions if I really was Filipino. On the other hand, the Filipinos, like the moment that they heard me, they were like, oh, you're Filipino. <laughs> like you could have the most perfect of Englishes and then like this Filipino would just smell you. Oh, you're Filipino. <laughs> I know you're Filipino. Like you're speaking perfectly. No, no, no. You're Filipino. Yeah. On the other hand, though, you have like the international community that have refused to believe that I was Filipino <laughs> for a very long time. I actually have some people that really thought that I was American because mm -hmm. of just how I like enunciate, I guess, my words. Yeah. And I have no idea what preconceived notions that they have, but it was kind of amusing because like several people have accused me of being a being um <laughs> being American. I'm just like, <laughs> no, I'm Asian. And then when I said, oh, I'm Filipino. What's a Filipino? Well, oh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. You know, those are the things you see in like 
comedies, but you know, it's always it's always something if you hear it in real life. Like, man, you can't make this up. <laughs> I was in the middle of a stream too, so like I had to keep you know keep my composure before going. Huh? It was so amusing at the same time you just like see like the chat just going question mark <laughs> if all you did was laugh you probably handled it better than i would have <laughs> i really tried not to laugh because i was in the middle of a quest but being a filipino content creator i suppose um i, don't know, I was about to say you can smell the other filipino content creators <laughs> <laughs> I just a lot of experience, I, um, I suppose, when it comes to the disparity between how they expect me to speak my English. Yeah. Um, but there is an accent like that I found. Um, someone pointed it out. The way that you say assume is very mm. different from how you would normally say it like as a non-Filipino because it's supposed to be assume, right? Assume. So yeah. whenever I say, oh, I assume. What do you mean assume? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very fascinating thing. Like... I'm telling you, the Filipinos can smell like the smallest bit of <laughs> of disparity, and they'll find you. Is is English your first language? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. You think so? Okay. Um, because like English is also my first language, and I didn't learn to speak Filipino well until I got to high school. And it's because I didn't have as much practice in elementary because a lot of my other classmates were like English speaking as well. So. Mm-hmm. Like, on my end, like, people do tell me a lot or assume that I am American. I think I, I told this to my chat once. Americans assume I'm American. Filipinos think I'm Filipino, for the most part. I still get, like, the the here and there surprised, oh, you're Filipino. But then anyone else whose first language isn't English and is good at detecting accents, they don't know what I am. Like, they usually... <laughs> They usually can't guess. And I don't know if it's because they haven't heard of, you know, Filipinos in the Philippines or it's just a weird accent that they don't hear as much because, again, we are a minority. So it's always fun, like, seeing people like, wait, I thought you were American or like, I thought you were Canadian or like, you know, you're not actually uh, from an English speaking country. And then it's even funnier when they say that because technically the Philippines has a lot of English speakers. Like right? we are great at English for, you know, historical and colonial reasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a constitutional language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How is it actually going to conquest being among um those conventions in a heavily Genshin geared place where people might recognize you. Speaking of that, it was kind of hilarious because my sister actually got approached if she was Aster. What? <laughs> yeah, my sister, like, because I separated from her while I was wearing my Kinder cosplay on the third day. And, like, she just, like, went to me. just like, they asked me if I was Aster because she was wearing a Scaramouche cosplay that she borrowed from me. And I'm just like, huh, what did you say? <laughs> and she was like, no, I didn't. And then, like, I posted on Twitter, if you're the person that approached the Scaramouche cosplayer, please know that was my sister. And they PM'd me. I was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I did not expect that. I'm sure neither did you. <laughs> my sister, unfortunately. <laughs> I did get, like, approached as Aster. Um, and then, like, because I, I publicly um, said that I was going as Uraraka. So, mm. like, some people, like, caught on that oh okay let's go like meet Aster for a bit and I, I would just like greet them and but like on the second and third day where I didn't really pub like really post out that I was gonna go as like what cosplay that I was going as besides like the second day where I was with you 
mm-hmm. I like I was asked, "Are you Aster?" And I <laughs> part of me in the back of my mind, I just want to say, "No." <laughs> I can't believe, like, on the first day, I didn't, I didn't recognize you, and I still feel bad about that. Like, you know, you you DM me, or, or and then later in the day, and you were like, "Oh, it was nice talking to you," and I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like, I was like thinking if I was gonna approach you as Aster, but then I, I, because I, I, um, I was thinking, hmm, you know what? I'm just gonna watch. Like, I wanna, I wanna see, <laughs> I wanna see. And I, I got super shy when I approached you. I was like, Uraha. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna. <laughs> picture and i'm just gonna walk away yeah and then, you, and then i didn't even know who you were i mean like you didn't introduce your name and i was like oh hi because like i was thinking oh if i like if i speak a certain way i hope i don't get found out so i'm like i had to push my voice like a little over like oh can i ask for a picture yeah you know that was it like because you pushed your voice a little lower I was like, yeah, okay, let's take a picture. I don't know who you are, but okay. <laughs> now, I do want to, like, dig a little deeper into your content. We've got a bit through your research process and, like, how you like to write your scripts. You like to structure them, um, like, research papers, which is a great way to go. The thematic choices you've made. <laughs> <laughs> and, like... I <laughs> I brought this up as an interesting point because Aster has a video on cannibalism in Genshin and also on children's sacrifices in Genshin. And y- you did mention early on that Genshin has some uncomfortable themes. So what draws you to them? Why do you make videos about those? One is that I think Genshin's world seems peachy on the surface but there's just so much lore underneath it that you're gonna need to really claw through um to really find and then i guess like it usually when it, when i have the darker themes it's mostly because of the content that i'm consuming like if i come from a D game for example i'm just like you know what i want to look for x um dark theme from genshin and then mm-hmm. i usually find it the dainichi mikoshi was still one of my favorite lore pieces of just Oh my gosh, what do you mean they're sacrificing the children after like a certain age? There's a lot of macabre um, themes in Genshin, in fact, that, you know, I kind of, I, I, I love diving into because darker themes and stories, especially something as bright, as colorful, like visually as Genshin, to just mm-hmm. have these somber elements just make me go, it, it gives me a sense of morbid intrigue, I That's suppose. That's true. Yeah, right? like morbid curiosity. And then, you know, if I have to know it, so do all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think Genshin has those themes? I think it's more so because, um, one, it helps to flesh out a world beyond just the chipper and happiness because Genshin does tackle a lot of heavy inspirations like for example the concept of the gnosis from the very beginning has ties to religion barbados morax but all have ties to the dev uh to our uh to the ars goisha which are devils or demons mm-hmm. so i guess it's very thematic for the world as well that beneath the surface there's a lot of heavy darker themes to truly flesh out just how urgent um you know how urgent and uncomfortable Tevat is, I guess, from a world perspective, mm-hmm. that while you're here in the lantern ride enjoying yourself, there's an ancient civilization from years ago that just got nuked by a celestial nail. We do get drawn to 
like the happy festivals, like as you said, like whether it's Lantern Rite or like Wind Bloom and things like that. But then also coexisting with those darker and uncomfortable histories, I guess it it kind of has that like dissonance, which gets interesting and also kind of makes you think. Genshin likes to put those, you know, they like to take a more holistic approach by including violence even in their history right cannibalism mm -hmm. children's sacrifices i think that it's good that people do cover it because having those darker histories at least acknowledges like the darker possibilities of humanity as well and letting that coexist with as you said the peachy chipper surface of the story that we get to experience do you have other experience like covering um, covering lore or exploring games or exploring literature and fiction, whether it was content or not. My love for content and the deeper parts of storytelling actually was motivated by Destiny, like the video game. Oh. They used to have such great lore about the monsters and the, the, um, the different factions. It was a bit of eldritch and then like on one hand, you also have the technological improvements of um, the stuff like that. So I guess that love for delving deeper into lore because you can see it can it recontextualizes a lot of things mm -hmm. when you know something about like an interaction in game. I guess that got translated to Genshin when I started reading about um, 1.5's Pale Flame Set. When Ooh. I started reading Scaramouche's lore like deeper into it, I was so fascinated by it that I decided, you know what? There's more than meets the eye in this game and I'm gonna... You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go start hunting. <laughs> what got you reading the artifact set? I mean, is it something that you also did in Destiny or in previous video games that you did go hunting, like in in the more obscure places? Mm -hmm. For Destiny, I was going through the grimoire cards. Like I would just oh. look at the PDFs and the PDFs, like uh, reading them. And then when it was for Genshin, it was actually a part of my burnout already. When I was like, oh, I don't feel like playing Genshin anymore because I have done the immortal sin of skipping the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it? So when I started reading the walls and walls of text from the artifact set, like when I heard that Scaramouche was getting new lore, I already like Scaramouche like mm. before um, before uh, Chill with Aster. So when I read this lore, I was like, huh, there's so much down here. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna go hunting. What was it like? entering the scene because you you mentioned that it was around the the 1.5 pale flame setter it was a little later like other lore channels had started up already so what was it like entering i went into that with the motivation of because i used to watch a lot of lore channels as well like back in my destiny days and when i went into um lore content creation or just how i wanted to have the feel of my channel one core um concept that I wanted to have is that I want to explain this in a way that someone that is not familiar with lore could probably understand. So something like that. That was so important to me, both as like a content creator and a researcher, because I was always told that what good is your paper if nobody's going to be able to understand your jargon or your lexicons or your terms? Yeah. So when I went into that, um, I wanted to cover a bit more I guess I didn't just want to cover the artifact sets, like, just directly. I wanted to tell the story of how that actually progresses so that I don't have to use um, 
too big of the words that they use in the artifact lore. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so that was also like when I was looking for like my spot, quote unquote, in the lore community. Um, that was what I wanted to emulate. That oh, I have an idea, and I'll explain to you my idea, and then here's the sources of the artifacts, and then let's um, let's build from there, like as a community. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. If I'm right, then I'm right. <laughs> and you also mentioned to me when we were talking earlier that people have actually asked you if you are Ashikai. Yeah. <laughs> How did that go? Um, there's actually a very old Reddit thread, I think, somewhere there. <laughs> a Reddit? Th- like, Wait, this was on Reddit? It was like an. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, it was back in December 24, 2022, and like somebody messaged me. I don't know, I just saw like a, a Reddit post of like, are Ashikai and Chill with Acid the same person? But like, um, this. Is like well, this is just one of the many instances that I have been asked. Are you Ashikai? <laughs> if you scour hard enough in my first like couple of videos, you're just gonna see like the comments are just like, she sounds like Ashikai. This is this is so crazy. Like hearing this as someone who, you know, has talked to both of you at <laughs> length, and like I know how distinct your voices are. <laughs> but I I am curious. Like, are there the difficulties or like negative aspects to it that you know you've been forced to contend with oh there's a lot especially when it comes to the theorizing part um there's you know the leaks have always been like my biggest pain in the mm. ass and obviously like there would be just be some theories that got proven wrong and you know like i personally just shrug it off as like well it is a theory and obviously like i'm fine with it as long as genshin does the logical choice and the outcome is, you know, it makes sense. Um, the negative part, I suppose, is when, I guess, parasocial relationships start to be formed. And that's where I kind of like just want to stay back. And I was like, okay, just think of me as this omnipotent blob on the internet. Like, omnipotent? Oh my god. <laughs> omnipotent. Wait, what's the word? Anonymous? Inco- incorporeal. Yeah, anonymous incorporeal blob, like, on the internet. Like, okay. That was, like, one of the... Um, the fears, I guess, that it was so important for me to kind of separate um, Aster versus who I am in real life, just like to put that safety barrier, because there was a time before that um, it was really difficult, I suppose, on my social battery to be um, to be around uh, the comment section, kind of like that. Mm. But you know, with time, you balance it out. Um, you balance out everything, and then obviously the usual content creator problems of. Um, the burnout plus, you know, you know, if you're going to focus on the views or you're actually going to focus on what you want to talk about, that kind of, you know, that kind of duality that's happening. I would say that like at the moment I am taking my break from Genshin Mm -hmm. just from, you know, in terms of interest and in just terms of energy, but I am trying to get back into like a style that I one think is um is good for the algorithm and two is that i also like so that it balances out with my real life um my other things in real life yeah so it's a slow process i suppose two years was not enough to know what the fuck i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) that's so relatable (laughs) also having been at this for two years like it's it's still like oh god i don't know what i'm doing um, yeah, you mentioned um, choosing between what you want to do and choosing what's good for the algorithm. Like, of course, the goal is to find something that addresses both, right? 
Um, but mm-hmm. do you find yourself leaning towards one more than the other? I did like the YouTuber, the YouTuber, I guess the YouTuber compromise. Mm-hmm. You would have a video that you know will not do well algorithmically, but you would just want to put out for the sake of your passion. And then you have another video immediately after it that like talks about the popular thing. Ah. So, you know, you pitter-patter between that. Um, that kind of style, and if you were able to merge it, then that's a good thing. But if, but most of the time, you know, sometimes you're just gonna have not really a mix between both. So you just gotta make do with what you got. That's true. Like, okay, that, that's a good way to go about it. I feel like I feel like I'm doing that right now, kind of like with this podcast as a passion project. And thankfully, like people are interested in it. But on the other side of it, like I'm still producing the guides to you know keep keep those who are here for the guides at least invested in the channel. And you mentioned that you are taking um, a break from Genshin currently. So what are you, what are you up to lately? I'm slowly going back into Genshin because I guess Sumeru was a very difficult. I guess a difficult time for me, I guess, as a student and as a researcher. Mm. There was a lot of moments where I really just had to stand up and just go, I need... Like, reality is blending way too much into this. I'm just gonna take my break. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Fontaine's coming along, and I am in love with its aesthetic. And I'm hoping that, you know, that it is rekindling my passion once again for Genshin Impact. And I'm also, grit is very important, I guess, Uh in our field. (laughs) Where you feel like you're gonna be burnt out, but no, you have to persevere. Something like that. Yeah. And I think I've overextended my break too far, so... You mentioned um, that Sumeru hits hard, like, in terms of research and student life and academia. And honestly, I feel like one of the reasons that I fell in love with Sumeru is because of that theme, dominance and power that the academia holds. What was the moment that that did make you go stand up? Like, that did make you go... This is hitting too hard. This is this is reality. This is too real. I think one of the moments there, and it was so unfortunate because it was on stream, it was Alhatham's story quest. Now, I don't remember it like on the top of my head anymore, okay. but I remember the feeling that I had when, um, when I went through that and the guy was... So, desperate would not be my word, but like kind of... kind of um, really working hard for his, you know, his passion project. Like he was obsessed. Um, yeah, and I just remembered how gritty it is to, you know, have a proposal, it not working out, people not, you know, not seeing, like, what's the point of your paper? One thing in my university that is always asked is, so what? Mm. You could have a really good proposal, but when the professor asks you the question of, so what? You just kind of, if you can't answer that, you're just, ah, so I wasted my time. You're right, you're right. Mm. Kind of like that. Yeah. And... The other themes, I suppose, of just knowledge in general from the Arcan Quest and I guess like how the academia was manipulating knowledge for their own benefit. Yeah. And just the concept of Layla's exhaustion, you know, (laughs) kind of like that. True. It didn't help that it got released at a time that I was doing two really big research papers. I also have a professor that asks, so what? And her course that she was teaching was um, had to do with sociology-heavy um, topics. Like, the so what question, it throws me off a lot because most professors just ask you what. 
right? They don't ask you, so what? They just usually stop at what or how and why. Um, when she did introduce the so what question, she was like, this is what's going to get you an A. You have to answer so what. Like, I feel like I learned so much more, but also it was definitely a learning curve and, and like a point of realization. Like, all right, yeah, this has to have applications. This has to have something beyond itself. But what you said about Sumeru like the academia controlling knowledge and using it to also control society. I feel like that's what got me super invested into the story and the the conflict of Sumeru as well, because information, misinformation, and disinformation, like those are all such huge, huge issues right now. <laughs> so when it comes to Fontaine, like aside from the aesthetic, well, you mentioned that the aesthetic is really drawing you in, but are there thematic and story aesthetics or story aspects sorry that are pulling you in further i love the concept of glitter and gold trying to mask something really really sinister Mm. and i hope that genshin has that like because you know how the court of fontaine is all of these beautiful ladies even though we only see new lights up in the <laughs> yeah <laughs> the beautifulest um, lady <laughs> um and then you have like the themes of technology where you know it, fontaine is like the most technologically advanced so far that we've seen and just to hear like the precursor of that is also that the people of fontaine are very tense the air is kind of toxic there's a lot of fumes and it's just, whoa, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So they're also going to tackle that. Huh, okay, interesting. I'm very weak to women in suit and ties and frills <laughs> and parasols and dresses, okay? I, I can talk big about the story and the lore, but I know my weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Arlequino is like, honestly, I, I, I'm i more attracted to her like than Senora. <laughs> like child like the other previous harbingers like that you know pe- people can be sipping for a harbinger of their choice but like so far Arlequino is my harbinger of choice <laughs> mm, she's kind of spicy <laughs> <laughs> yeah she is the environmental aspect is going to be an interesting one they're having their waterline crisis they had a recent explosion there's a whole thing with Archeum I hope nothing bad happens and we get put in jail <laughs> again <laughs> Imagine us having to solve the pollution problems from jail. (laughs) Sumeru went from academia and information control and Fontaine is entering technology industry, but also the environmental repercussions. Do you have particular predictions for further themes and conflicts? I have a theory that at some point technology will be used by maybe either the Fatui or Fossil or herself mm-hmm. as like, oh, I'm going to use this as a bartering chip. It's mm-hmm. a technology equals power. Innovation equals power. Kind of like that for political gain. So I'm curious if that's how they're going to do that. And I'm really hoping that they play on on the masquerade of the politics when i saw that the themes were gonna be you know justice and court and have some politics in there and then like it was also like circus masquerading as a motive i was like wow that's very appropriate (laughs) we're gonna have like those circus politics and, and all the you know behind the scenes shaking hands and stuff like that i think they tried to emulate that kind of feeling with um, in Azuma's, you know, dual politics with yeah. Kokomi and the Shogun. 
But I think, I hope that Fontaine just drills in that concept deeper. And, you know, the execution is, yeah. uh, I think they learned from their mistakes. Uh, Sumeru was really nice. So I think the execution, I have very high hopes. True, true, true. I hope true. they don't come crashing down. Execution-wise, like, we have higher hopes, but also higher expectations now. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. Like, Fontaine, it, it has to deliver. <laughs> Before we wrap up I, I want to ask for any advice that you would like to share whether to students because i'm sure like i do know that a lot of my audience are still students they're still studying um could be research could be other stuff um or also content for students my biggest advice is you can do this <laughs> you got this you i got believe this. in you <laughs> Um, I guess for creators, one of my biggest um, experiences, I suppose, is don't be afraid to branch out from the norm, but also understand why the norm is popular. Because I know a lot of people that have said that, oh, just do your own thing. While that is a very, you know, it's a very nice um, advice, I also think that you have to be a bit smarter when it comes to the current state of media that we have right now everything is very saturated so you need to understand why trends are popular and then you know try to tweak it out uh tweak it a bit uh that fits your comfort your style and your audience so work smarter not harder but also you know accept that you're gonna need to work within the system mm -hmm. and find your place in the system kind of like that that's so vague i feel <laughs> like i just I have mm, that is so vague. Good luck, I guess. It was it's solid though. It's solid though because like creators that start out, um, there is a misconception that if you keep doing your thing without regard for trends or algorithm, then like if you try it hard enough, it's gonna pop off, and that's not true. Like that is that is very rarely true. Um, what you said about identifying the trends and trying to figure out why they are trends is is definitely a smart thing to do like you do want to do your analysis you do want to do your research of of your niche of your audience and um try to hop on from there working smarter not harder is incredibly applicable advice all right so aster tell us tell us where we can find you and you have multiple channels now so we can find you in multiple places but yeah tell us where we can find you uh you can mostly find me on youtube that's where i'm just gonna be chilling around and then i have a bunch of you know um test channels that i've been calling them to see what kind of content i can branch out with that's mostly it honestly twitter's dead <laughs> It's it's called Find X on now. X. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Great. Thank you. And if you are listening to this on YouTube, the audio version of this is also available on Spotify. If you're listening to this on Spotify, you can find it on YouTube and leave a comment. And by the way, Sevi Talks is going to be on a short break for the next couple of weeks while I make guide content for the new Fontaine stuff. But rest assured, when we come back, Fontaine will be the main topic of discussion. So be sure to follow me on Twitter and YouTube for updates. And thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Aster, for joining me 
for this episode. I would definitely love to have you on at another point to like talk about other stuff. But thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me as well. Everyone subscribe to Sevi. Yes, this well, is online control. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a like. If you haven't yet, subscribe to my channel and I will see you soon. Take care.